This podcast contains discussions about mental health and may contain discussions about suicide and self-harm. If you or somebody that you know is experiencing distress or is in immediate danger, dial triple O or call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Also, if you believe that someone you love is experiencing a mental health issue, please encourage them to go and talk to their GP as soon as possible. Thanks very much for listening. I think a lot of the issue where this stems from, where we feel like we have to hide, has come a lot from the generations that we've lived in before now. So there's been a lot of years where, you know, depending on the generation you come from, will determine how open or closed you are about your mental health. How you going, Bobby? Uh, not too bad, I suppose. Although I'm not Barb this week, I'm Bob. <laughs> uh, for for those of you that um, regularly listen to the podcast, you'll recognize might recognize the voice. Uh, the voice is uh, the other half of how you going, mate. Your husband, your <laughs> husband Bob. <laughs> um, Bob makes an appearance every so often when uh, Barbie's sick. Barbie has a head cold. Barbie has a head cold. Not COVID nineteen. No, no, no. Can't catch it's, it over the airways. It's not Corona. But uh, yeah, so this is a, a, probably a little bit of a different episode this week because we uh, usually have the intro and we usually have uh, a, a guest following the intro, but we are doing the intro here at the top, so thank you everyone for listening. We really do appreciate that you're out there and continuing to support us. Support us. We are closing in on 13,000 listens. That's pretty good. And um, a lucky number. 13 or 13,000? It's got 13 in it. <laughs> it's got 13. It's a lucky it number, apparently. It is your family's lucky number. Mm. Uh, closing in on 13,000 listens. Had a great response last fortnight to uh, Graham's uh, episode about you know supporting men going through separation and divorce. And, uh, and Cara, from a few weeks ago, is continuing to get really good listens. So that's really fantastic. And a thing came up in our Facebook uh, memories section through the week that... Um, uh, this time a year ago, we had a thousand listens. We're celebrating a thousand listens. So, mm. to be at, to have added, come a long way in twelve months. Twelve thousand. That's pretty awesome. So this um, earlier on in the week, if you follow the social media posts uh, that we put up, we put a, uh, a little thing about the secrets that we keep are killing us, um, and we, we sort of mentioned a couple of scenarios. In that, and and I, and I guess the thing we wanted to have a conversation, or I wanted to have a conversation about this week, was the idea of us keeping our mental health secret, and some of the reasons why we keep our mental health secret, and um, and, it, and it kind of off the back of a, a conversation that I had with someone about somebody that I know, um, that a, a, a young a man, I should say, that I know, who unfortunately uh, made the decision to end his life. Um, but this was a young man that grew up with a um, 
pretty significant disability, but a pretty significant level of awareness about that disability, an awareness that he was quite different from everybody else. And to a certain extent grew up being aware, indirectly being made to feel as though as though it was different. So no, nobody ever actually said, you're different from, from everyone else. But, you know, for example, if there was social gatherings, you know, his part of the family sort of would intend, would attend infrequently. And, and the implication being that um, there was a, a level of shame, a level of, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Probably shame around his particular... Needing to be hidden away. Yeah, yeah, from from the rest of the family, and and I guess growing up feeling like that, but growing up being very acutely aware that he was different, I think bullied because of that, and and certainly um, feeling disconnected from his family for a range of reasons, which we won't really go into. But um, I guess understanding then that, and and, and sadly, you know, um, getting to a point in his life where. Uh, he felt disconnected from his parents, disconnected from his brother, and and ultimately made that decision to to end his life. And that was kind of what inspired this, because there are s- stories after stories after stories, and and certainly for you and I, we also fit into this category of what as well of keeping our mental health a secret, mm. and and really the idea that. Keeping it a secret, feeling this like you've got to carry this burden, this this thing around with you, is actually quite terrible. You know, quite quite in, intense, and and the stress and the pressure of that, even just in terms of stress chemicals and what that does to your body. I mean, the effects that it has on your body, the release of the stress chemicals, can be equal to the effects of cancer, can be equal to the effects of a whole range of different diseases. And can lead to things like stomach problems and heart problems and a whole range of things. Because as we're trying to say, it's a mental health condition is actually a physical condition as well. What's well, a medical the, condition? It, that's right. Mm. It's all connected. Yeah. Regardless of the shame that you might have for a whole range of different reasons. Um, and the, the, the example I was speaking, I was speaking to um, Elisa, who's been on the podcast before. Um, we were talking about the example of cancer, you know. If somebody had cancer, if you found out that somebody had cancer and you went, you know, oh, hey, I heard that Bob's got... Bob, 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 not Bob, that's not, me. Not you, Bob, another Bob. <laughs> um, we heard that Bob's got cancer. Now, your first reaction would be, ring Bob up. Hey, Bob, you okay? No, I'm sorry to hear. Sorry to hear. What happened? What's the diagnosis? What did the doctors say? Can I do anything for you, mate? But equally, if you'd heard that Bob had been diagnosed with bipolar, you know, something that's, or depression or anxiety, something that is equally treatable, equally able to be recovered from. But I guess we wouldn't have that. And potentially Bob's not going to tell us, but we oh, wouldn't. We better not talk to Bob about that. No, no. Or the I other just, Bob. I do. I just won't mention it, and it and it's really interesting. Um, even just that idea of you know um, how we tiptoe around the idea of death by suicide. You know the idea of you know did you hear about you know so and so's you know uncle? Oh, what happened? He, he killed himself. 
oh, well, I won't say anything about that when I see that person, you know, and it's like, well, well why aren't you going to say anything about well, that? You know, if you died of a heart attack, you'd go. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your uncle. Yeah, I like my condolences to you and the family. So it's it's that that idea that those secrets. And I mean, you know, speaking of that cancer diagnosis, so having a conversation with a friend of mine a little while back, and talking about sort of depression and anxiety, and and you know my experience, their experience with it, and they were talking about their father, who would you know uh, had growing up. Uh, in their mind, had undiagnosed bipolar. And the way they described their experience growing up was, and it actually sounds a little bit more like, probably more like borderline personality disorder than bipolar necessarily, but Dad would come home from work and they said we could tell by the dog because the dog would be out the front and if he's in a good mood, he oh, g'day, Rover, you know, hello, boy, can we give him a pat? And if he was in a bad mood, it'd be, you know, F off Rover and he'd growl at, you know, kick the dog kind of thing not literally but metaphorically and so if they heard dad walk in angry at the dog then they went to their bedrooms and they went to sleep because that was a bad time in their house if they heard dad friendly with the dog well that was party time dad was playing music dad was fun dad was laughing dad was happy and there was these wildly fluctuating you know it wasn't like dad would come in in a bit of a bad mood grumble a bit and then go you know, sorry, kids, and and become really nice again. There were the two extremes between the two. And it was this idea that, you know, this man, and ultimately, from what I understand, went undiagnosed for a lot of years and ultimately actually did attempt to end his life, Um, made an attempt at suicide, didn't complete. And when I was speaking to the person, I said, wow, you know, that's really intense. You know, how how do you guys manage that? And they said, well, look, the immediate family knows. Like, we all kind of understand. And we we still don't have a diagnosis for that, but we all still kind of go, yeah, this is what he had. And knowing a bit more about it now, this is what what he has, what I think he has. But we, you know, the immediate family talks about it. We don't talk about it in the extended family or anything. And my my reaction to that was, was, why not? It's a medical condition. If if you if your dad had cancer, you know, would you have rung Uncle June, uh, you know, Uncle Uncle Rob and Auntie June, and you know, Uncle Bill and Auntie Sarah, and Betty. said, you know, hey, guess what? Dad's just got cancer, and you know, he's been diagnosed, but he's going to be okay. You know, he's getting treatment. He's going to be fine. You know, mm. absolutely would have, hundred percent, you would have. But we didn't do. But we don't do that. Mm. You know? So in the in the meantime, they're suffering. The whole family's suffering for this person's um, medical condition and the situation that they're in. But just could have been treated as well. Mm. And so many men, you know, my own grandfather did the same thing and 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 went through, you know, experienced his whole life managing a mental health condition, managing or not not managing a mental health condition actually, you know, living with a mental health condition. But but it it wreaking havoc on his family and his and his own children growing up, hmm. you know. And I think, too, when we look back at the times, different times, you know, we, we, we're lucky to live in a generation at the moment where we're starting to realise that these things exist and they're not, you know, it is a medical condition. It's not just, you know, you being a sook or, or something like that. And, you know, when you think back to the... I don't know, 50s, 60s, 70s, however far back you want to go. Yeah. And you think about the men that 
you know of in your family or in your in your life. And remember back then, the man was the provider. Mm-hmm. So the man was the provider and the, the mother was the one that looked after the children. And I think back then, in a lot of cases, kids, you know, it was an expectation that you had children. You had to procreate um, mm. for a whole range of different political and, and social reasons. But there wasn't the... What will I say? Like kids weren't necessarily looked look necessarily looked at as special. Like we are so special. We're so lucky to have these kids in our lives. We're so mm. lucky to have them here. It's something you did. You grew up. You finished school. You got a job. You got married. You had kids. You bought, or you bought a house. You had kids. That that was mm. the progression naturally. Yeah. Expected. So, so yeah. So whether and you know we know in this day and age there's a lot of men that just don't want to do that and aren't prepared to do that mm. and there's a lot of women that are that are um you know suffering due to that mm. that's a whole other podcast i have to say but um but you know thinking of the pressure back then where men were the provider but then if they had these mental health conditions mm. that they were dealing with at the same time there was no recognition that that was an actual thing. It was mm. just like you know, you've you're you're crazy or you're this, or, you know, you. I can't show my family that I've got a weakness. I've got to be strong all of the time. I, 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 as you talk about it as well, I often you know we hear a lot of and even just that pressure on a man. You were saying quite rightly the you know, man was a provider. We're we're probably only looking at really the last. 20 to 30 years. I mean, I know women were working well before that, but really the only last 20 to 30 years where we've really seen two parents working, mm. you know, and... And, and so, that brings its own stresses. Well, it does. As but, we know. But, but the pressure on a, on that single, um, and I'm going to say man, not that it's exclusively a man's problem, but this the pressure on that single income provider, you know, to get up and go to work every day, no matter how we feel. Uh, no matter how, what his head was doing, the pressure to know that his wage was supporting his family, his wage was paying the ha- the house, the bills, the food, putting clothes on the back, you know, and that that pressure must have been enormous. And again, not having not having that network of men. I mean, mental health awareness, our campaigns, the, all the stuff we see, even things like. Are you okay today? And and really focusing on some of those other big mental health initiatives. That's only been the last maybe years. maybe fifteen years. Yeah, mm. outside you know, definitely a twenty first century thing. Mm. I don't recall seeing a lot of discussion around mental health and 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 you know mental health conditions and you know suicide awareness in prior to that. Mm. So these men are growing up in the the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. You know, our father's generation, our grandfather's generation, with no outlet, nowhere to talk to. Even if they had a group of mates, they didn't sit around and go, "You know, how are you going, oh, man? I'm really struggling. Oh, tell me about it, mate. What's going on? What's happening for yeah. you? You know, that conversation would have went, "How are you going, oh, mate? Doing a bit tough. Oh, you'll be right, mate. Have a let's have a beer. Yeah, let's have a beer. Did you see the footy on the weekend? How the yields go? You know, and that's the conversation." The answer to that is the yields went shit <laughs> and didn't win a premiership <laughs> from 1986 onwards. But but you know you know what I mean. Like and and I think we're incredibly lucky that that 20 years later 
we can have these conversations about mental health. Mm. And the reason why that I think there's a lot of um, hidden secrets, as you call them, in families is because people didn't want to seem weak over the previous generations and and or they had you know their own parents or their own family that didn't want to that felt a, a lot of shame or stigma around um letting people know that hang on there's a there's a problem here and um going back to what i was saying about the man was the the sole provider in a mm. lot of cases or or you know i have also had some women in my family that have been the sole provider yeah, as well absolutely me too as we know um and whoever the the and actually it, it's either either or like whoever is the sole provider in back in the in the day there was a lot of idea around well i'm providing for my family so that's what i'm doing and that's the limit that I have, that that's my limit. That's as far as I go. Who I am. So, so, and there was a lot of pride around being the sole provider, and there was a lot of you know I have to do this for my family, and so the fact that they were providing for their family, then said, well, that's that's as far as I go. So I don't really need to get involved with what the kids are doing and and how they're feeling and. And getting all involved with the the emotions of of the family and the kids and the wife and that because I'm providing for my family. My, my job is to provide for the family. Yeah. Your job, wife, is to bring these kids up. Hmm. That that's the attitude you're kind of describing, right? Hmm. Or, or perhaps the mindset you're describing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, you talked of you know. And your dad worked in a job that had hugely strange, strange hours and and big weird hours because he was caterer. So there was, you know, moving in and out of, you know, finishing work at three, four or five o'clock in the morning kind Mm. of thing, you know, things like that. And then it was, you know, don't all day Sunday, don't wake dad up. Yeah. So, you know, we had to tiptoe around the place because he was sleeping the week off. So those incredibly... Huge hours, and also then really not having, like at least on a weekend, we get the opportunity to spend time connecting with our children. Whereas that was really about recovery time for him, or it was actually his busy time. But those days off were just no; he needs to be completely mm. left alone, kind of thing. Mm. And look, this is the thing. I guess we kind of reinforce here is nobody saying anyone necessarily did any wrong in that scenario. It's more just that. You know, again, so imagine this man and existing in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 90s, providing for his family, um, probably having significant mental health con- concerns and issues, but really struggling to manage those on his own because he just couldn't. There was no recognition that it was even a thing. Yeah. So it was like, you know, you just got to, you know, get tough, get tougher and deal with it. Well, and it's interesting as well, you know, and you've got to think that the prevailing attitude towards mental health, I mean, you know, it was only the, probably the 50s and the 60s that women were, were spending time in, in mental health or in, in institutions for menopause, you mm. know. That was considered to be a significant mental health condition and they were they were put in institutions and, and medicated because of that. Mm. So there was, you know, we've, we've come leaps and bounds in the last... 
probably 20 years. There's a long way to go. There's a hugely long way to go. Um, and in, in the post, we mentioned a whole range of issues. We mentioned, you know, I think we mentioned the parent who is, you know, really struggling with the idea of managing, you know, the kid that's going to school because they're bullied or, um, you know, a man that feels shame because of mental health. We also mentioned, um, you know, a young person that feels like they're coming out. I mean, that secret, that burden, you know, of coming out. I have a, a, a relative who actually got engaged twice and flew to America and, in, you know, went through, and I, maybe once, could have been twice, I'm not sure, but I definitely know it was once, went through, like, gay conversion therapy, went to a psychologist, a psychotherapist, to, yeah. to try and, you know, de-homosexualise himself. Still gay. <laughs> Still as gay as he's ever been. And, and, you know, that's fine. Like, that's absolutely okay. But now finally in a situation where he's able to be that yeah, without shame and without stigma yeah and um you know in the lgbtqi community the rates of suicide are phenomenal you know that's something like you're four times more likely to take your life if you're in that community it's in, it's insane like it's a massive issue for people well hopefully now with the recognition of of that community and i don't want to say the the letters wrong <laughs> so i'll just um but you know, with now the changes with the marriage equality and all of that, and, yeah. and there's a lot more, you know, um, acceptance within society, and that's the generational thing that we've been talking about as well. I think we're moving into a into a world now where a lot of the people who had um, prejudices and discrimination against, um, you know, gays and lesbians, mm. and um, are now sort of fading fading away either they're passing away or they're they're in the distance yeah. somewhere so there's a lot of um change in attitudes there i i take a lot thankfully of, i take a lot of pride and you and i i think are pretty open to all of this stuff we're not particularly you know we're both very open about talking about mental health we talk about it with our, our children um we're not prejudiced against anything anyone at all mm. um but I take a lot of pride. So a couple of things that our, our daughter's done over the, the last few, little bit of time, take a lot of pride in the fact that... Um, the little one. The little one, yeah. Take a lot of pride in the fact that, like the other night, she wanted to watch the NADOC Week concert. And and I think, you know, if you're talking about shame and stigma, you know, I know obviously there's the, the stories of the stolen generation, but I, I know of Aboriginal people who have denied Aboriginality because it was seen as something to be ashamed of, mm. um, you know, and have, have claimed, uh, I know an Aboriginal elder that grew up thinking that she was of Irish and English descent and the, the sort of dark colour in her skin was from being Spanish, you know. Yet we've got a child now that wanted to watch the NADOC Week concert and then asked us if there was a, a CD out at the moment with Australian, classic Australian songs re-recorded by young Indigenous artists. And she said, oh, that looks, that sounds cool. Can we get a copy of that? She's going to grow up in an era where she's going to learn about Aboriginal culture. She's going to learn about the incredible facets of Aboriginal culture, the incredibly advanced elements of Aboriginal culture, art and music and dancing and even science in Aboriginal culture. And she's going to grow up not, you know, not not in an era where, 
you know, Aboriginals were seen as, I mean, they were they were considered they were part of the flora and fauna act at one point, so they were considered to be animals rather than humans. So she's going to grow up accepting That's that. It's ridiculous. It is. It is insane when you think about it. But it was only midway through last century that that was changed. That they weren't, you know, they were classified as as fauna. Um, and then, <clears throat> but then thinking about um, a couple of years ago, where she made us sit down and watch the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras on TV. Yeah, that's right. She insisted on that. You know, she doesn't care about men, women, who they are, how they identify, which who they prefer to sleep with. She loved watching that par- parade. She thought that was really cool—the cool. color, the spectacle. And and I I'm proud of the fact that she's going to grow up without those prejudices, mm. and that hopefully the group of kids that she grows up with this the, her generation and maybe even the following generation, it's not going to matter what colour their skin are. It's not going to matter if what what gender, what sexuality, how they identify themselves. They're not going to judge people on that. Mm. And then equally, and we were talking about this because we there's times when we have to help her to manage her own anxieties. Rather, as you said before, rather than being told, you know, you're being a sook or you're, you know, come on, stop being, you know, stop being such a, you know, pansy or a pussy or a wimp or whatever particular insult you had put at you, someone's going to actually stop and talk to you about your anxiety. Someone's actually going to stop and explain to her what she's feeling, what she's thinking. And it's going to be okay for her to open up to someone and say, look, this is yep. what I'm dealing with at the moment. This is my anxiety playing havoc. Oh, man, okay, yeah, cool. I, I have to manage that as well. This is how I do it. What do you do, you know? Mm. But she'll hopefully grow up with a set of tools that are already built in that she won't have to learn at 25, 30, mm. 40, you know. They're already there. 35 like I did. 35 like you did, you know. And... and you know, we spoke off air and I was speaking to a friend of mine a while back and, and your experience was a little bit different, but speaking to a friend of mine a while back about, you know, she'd gone through a period of anxiety this year and, and had opened up to people about it and people were quite nice to her about it, but like still treated her as though they had to treat her a little like, oh, we don't want to put but pressure on you in case, yeah, in case your anxiety flares up, you know, and it's like, it's not like that. Like, I can handle stress, and if I'm no good, I'll let you know. But don't treat me like I'm a bloody, you know, fragile piece of glass. <laughs> like, you mm. know, just treat me like I am. Treat me like mm. I always am, you know. Mm. Whereas in my situation, about 15 years ago, I was quite vulnerable and open with a with a manager that I had at the time um, about my anxieties, and, and I went through a period of depression and allowed her to be aware of that, uh, which then she then turned against me over time. And I was in, in a relatively high position. I was a, mm. like a assistant manager position and she was going down the path of, oh, well, we need to take that off her, uh, off me because she saw my anxiety and, you know, how I went through a period of depression, which as we know go, can fluctuate and go up and down and, you know, just because you're going through a period of depression now doesn't mean that in a month's time, two months' time, that you will still be in that mm. state. Um, but she was, she saw that as a major weakness mm. to me in me, and was taking steps to to take my p- position off me. Mm. Um, and as it turns out, she was she then bullied me and other staff members as well. So she was the one that ended up 
getting uh, the heave-ho out of the uh, office and um, I just uh, went back to where I was originally so and was quite and was more than quite successful in what I was doing so and that just showed that was only probably about 15 years ago Mm. uh, maybe a little bit Longer, even? Jeez, I don't know. I'm getting too old to, yeah. to count. I, was, I but, didn't um, want to say anything, but yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially now. I'm going to turn into Bob. Um, <laughs> but uh, that is that that was only, you know, that short time ago. Mm. Um, and the changes, like if she had done what she did to me and to others in the site, um, now she'd be in all sorts of trouble. Yeah. But at that time, it was like, well, we need to move her out. So she went, she moved out to another, another. I will ta- we'll send her to another office, and we'll get a new manager coming coming in. And yeah. it was the best thing that ever happened, I must say. But um, <laughs> um, but that's uh, that's what happened, and that was only a short while ago in in the big scheme of things. Yeah, and I think that speaks to why people are afraid to talk about this. Like, this is the thing that we're going to call this episode the secrets we keep are killing us and fair enough they actually do you know they actually are pretty serious but at the end of the day at the end of the day we've you know hopefully we're moving into an era where you don't have to keep you don't have to keep those things secret you can absolutely talk about them you can absolutely be open with them i have a friend that i work with who you know has spoken reasonably openly about her mental health and she has said to me a number of times this is the very first workplace i've ever worked in where i can talk about this freely and not feel like i'm going to be judged or mistreated or bullied or discriminated against you know i can say it she said and it's incredible it is incredible to be able to be in an environment like this you know and it's I hope we're in an era now where these conversations around mental health, there are so many of us having them. I hope they're becoming normalized. Mm. I hope, you know, I hope when somebody says, how are you going, mate, to somebody, if they turn around and say, mate, I'm actually not good, I hope then that that, that person is like, well, tell me what's going on. Mm. Versus, oh shit! How do I deal with this? Oh, he's he's crazy. Oh, that's no good, mate. Yeah, and get on with and get on with whatever you're doing. Yeah. Um, speaking of workplaces, I mean, one of the most amazing things I ever saw. And I was so incredibly proud of this person and, and really amazed when I watched it. Was a friend of mine that that finished up at work, and actually. When she gave her, she'd been there for quite a while, and she was really well known and very well liked. And when she finished, she said, "I am leaving because my mental health is in the toilet, and it continues to be in the toilet. And the pressures of our job, is, my job, has been so great that I'm, I'm, I'm I need to go. I, I don't have anywhere else to go. I don't have another job. I'm not leaving to go anywhere. I am literally making this decision to leave to save my mental to, health. To save my mental health." And this is a person that does has had you know an ongoing experience with a mental health issue, uh, with anxiety, but was very open about that. Sat there in the room full of her colleagues and her peers, with management in the room, and was very open about that. 
Very interesting to see her manager speak after her. Really didn't know how to manage that and, and, and follow that conversation. But, I mean, I think the appropriate... I, I don't re- remember exactly what he said, but I, the appropriate response would have been, look, I'm really sorry. You know, mm. sorry that it had to come to that. Um, but it was it was an incredible moment where somebody actually spoke really honestly about that. At the same time, I knew someone else who was finishing up or wanting to finish work and, and getting ready to move on from their work. And when people were like, well, you know, what's going on? How come you, you know, what are you doing? They were talking, and they were doing it for very much the same reason, but they were talking along the lines of, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's about time to, to finish up. I'm, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I've got to go off and enjoy life. And it's like, no, be honest. If someone asks you, what are you finishing for? Go, this, you know, the stress of this job has gotten to me. Mm. You know, what I've gone through has gotten to me. I, I can't do this anymore. I have to make this decision for my own mental health. Mm. Yeah, because for people it's like, well, what's wrong with you? How come you can't handle it? Yeah. Obviously you can't handle it. There's something wrong with you. Yeah. Mm. But I think the thing, the thing, everyone experiences mental health. Everyone has that. And and mental health shifts and moves. It's, and where it's good, bad or stable. Well, it's just, it is what it is. And throughout your day, you have things that make it, that kind of impact negatively and things that impact positively. Mm. But over a sustained period of time, if you have continued negative impacts and consistent negative impacts, I don't care who you are, you're going to crumble. You know, people have different levels of resilience and will have different levels of of sort of points at which they will break. But you'll break. There's no doubt about it. And I guess when you're keeping everything a secret, when you're keeping what you're feeling and what you're going through a secret from those closest to you and family members, then, you know, it, it, it's the impact of it is even greater and the danger that you face is greater to yourself if you're not sharing it with those around you. Yeah. So I guess to, um, to kind of start to wrap this up a little bit, um, why don't we, the reasons we don't talk about a mental health, um, fear. Mm. fear, well, in my instance, and I, I've talked about this for a, a number of times, I kept it secret because I had a, a an ex-wife that I was absolutely certain would use it against me. But it got to a point where I stopped caring if she did or she didn't. She mm. could, if she wanted to, that's fine. Use it, that's fine, go ahead. I can manage that. Um, but fear, fear of being found out, fear of looking weak, fear of looking like you can't manage, fear of looking like you can't cope, fear of other people's judgment, the shame of all of that, the stigma of mental health that still exists on some levels, um, a certain amount of guilt, hmm. um, guilt around like what right have I got to feel like this, hmm. you know, like really our lives are pretty good. Yeah. We for the most part. For the most part. We've got a nice house that we live in. We've both got good jobs. We both have food in our bellies and beds to sleep in and cars to drive. We've got all of the things. So, you know, people look at our situations and go, hang on, how, how can you manage an anxiety disorder? Why are you, you know, still actively managing your mental health after well, all like these years? When we both go out and we both do, you know, public speaking um, activities and you know, and we talk about being nervous, but oh, you don't, 
You're not nervous. Why are you nervous? Yeah. I'm nervous every time. Mm. Every single time. I'm nervous right now. What are you nervous right now for? I don't know. Because I... Because you're sitting next to this hunking great bit of manliness. In my pyjamas of... Sorry, actually, in my pyjamas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those are all my clothes that you're wearing. They're so much bigger than my clothes. So oh, you're right. So they're more yeah. comfortable. Oh, yeah. No, that's what mm, it is. They're yeah. so much bigger. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and, and I guess that real fear that we're going to use against us. So one of the things we like to do um, at the end of these is, well, how do we fix this? What was I going to say? I was going to actually add to that, you know, um, you know how we're talking about, like, people have mental health conditions and things that that are kept secret within families. Yeah. It could be a situation where people might not even realise that they're dealing with a mental health issue because it's been hidden for that long and it's been hidden so far deep into the family history and the family situation. And it's just Dave, he's an arsehole. That they don't... (laughs) No, no, but you you know what I mean. Dave. I don't think we know Dave, do we? No. Um... But uh, but that's what, like, the person themselves that's dealing with this issue, whatever issue it is, with whatever condition it is, doesn't is, is acutely unaware that they even have that issue. And I've met a lot of those people through my work over the years that, that, are, that just have no understanding that they, are, have a, they have a condition and it can make it very difficult to help them because they don't even acknowledge that, that there's a problem within, do you, within themselves. Do you think... I've often said I think some people have a mental health issue, but they mistake it for their personality. Mm. So so when I've made that comment before about, oh, that's just Dave, he's an arsehole, people go, oh, you know, someone's just always angry. He's just, he's just an angry guy. But you're going like, is he just an angry guy or is he a man that's experiencing pretty serious mental health condition and nobody's ever actually bothered to stop and look for that. They just go, oh, no, it's just Dave, he's angry, mm. you know? Or, you know, the person that goes, it's just how I am. I can't control it. And you go, nah, it's not. You and can, yeah, you, you can. You can actually help this situation. Yeah. Mm. And, I mean, it gets tricky when we talk about things like, Levels of emotional intelligence and self-awareness and ability to have insight into that, but I, I really... Yeah, that's the word I was thinking. Like, people don't have insight into the fact that they have a condition that yeah. they're managing or that they're, yeah. that they're not managing whichever way it goes. Again, it's why it's so important to do it because I guess it's that... One of the things... I think we put this on Facebook a while back and... Um, you know, it's like one day, and I'm paraphrasing this, and I'm sure you'll remember the exact quote, but like one day, you know, tell your story because one day your story will become someone else's survival guide, right? It's pretty close to what it was. Yeah. Well done. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I passed. I get to stay on the podcast. <laughs> but, um, but the you know, one of the reasons we do this is because I want someone, and I know it's happened. It's really interesting. These last two... Uh, episodes we've done both Cara and Graham have given us great feedback in and around people getting in touch with them after hearing that and saying like me too you didn't tell me that I did well I'm telling you now oh, yes that's, that's fantastic <laughs> I, I did actually tell you about one of them I think um, I didn't but um I didn't believe him I did um, oh, good 
<laughs> but I um but the one of the reasons we do this is I want someone to sit and listen to this and it goes back to a thing that Nath said to me uh, when we first did that first podcast whereas where it is your mental health tells you you're alone your mental health tells you that no one understands you no one your mental health condition will say to you no one's going to get this mate don't say anything they don't get it don't mention it to anybody mm. or you know no one else feels like this you're the only one that feels like this nobody else experiences this you're the only one where you sit and listen to this and it's the mum with the little baby who looks at this baby and just doesn't feel anything or feels complete sadness when she should be feeling complete or she's told she should be feeling complete happiness. The mum that listens to the stuff you've spoken about, the mum that listens to Eliza's episodes, 10 years episodes that go, oh, shit, I feel like that too and I'm not the only one. You know, the dad now hopefully that's sitting there going like, I feel that pressure to be, to perform, to provide and I've got no one to talk to. All the single mums. The single mums that feel that pressure. Yeah. Well, that was that was my mum's experience, yeah. That was, you know, and, you know, my mum was 24-7. I didn't, you know, and not, not my dad's, my dad, that is long, long in the past and resolved, but my dad wasn't there. So it was mum, 24-7. But mum will tell you she loved it. She loved having me. She loved being a mum. She loved having a child around. So she didn't want necessarily for me to go away every other weekend or whatever the, the model would have looked like. She was happy to have me there. But there was incredible stress on her and she did have to, and I, I, I quite a few times sat with my mum in tears because she was under this incredible amount of stress to do that. To provide for you. Well, to I remember a particular episode where I was 16, 17 and she was having to, it was an old, the old system where you could be on the, the single parent pension until your child was 16. I think the age is six now, but you're 16 years of age and then you had to go and get a job. So my mum, you know, I, I'll always defend single mums and people on those single parent payments because my mum made their choice to stay home and bring up a child. She wanted to be there when I left in, in the morning. She wanted to be there when I got home in the afternoon, right? And and all jokes aside, I, I, I think I turned out pretty well. Like, I, I haven't committed any major crimes. I've not, you know... Not yet. <laughs> no. Shut up. See? I knew you were going to do that. So, I, I think she did a pretty good job, right? Um, but at 16 years of age, she had to go and retrain. And it was the beginning of the computer age. Yeah, she was, you were 16. I, when, when I was 16, she had to go. So, she was... I'm guessing, I think, 39 at the time, maybe. And That's young. Well, but it was the beginning of the computer age. She had to go out and learn how to do computers. She had to go out and learn how to type. She had to go and learn how to do all this stuff. And at the end of it all, she did all this stuff and ended up getting a job at like a convenience store or something like that and, and hated it and didn't want to go there and went, I don't want to be there and, and was in tears and sat there knew that she had to work, knew that she had to do this job, knew that she didn't have the pension to fall back on anymore, but didn't want to do this job. And I remember sitting there saying, well, mum, don't do it. Leave. We'll be fine. Something will come up. Just leave. And she did. And not long after, she got a job that she stayed in for over 25 years. 
well, an organisation she stayed with and did a number of roles within that organisation, maybe three or four at the end, four or five. Um, the, the last role that she was in, she was in for well over 15 years. Um, so, I mean, you know, when we talk about single parents, you know, feeling that pressure. But again, and, and I didn't know about my mum's diagnosis of mental health until I had a diagnosis at the age of 33. I didn't understand that. You know, it's generational for me. There is, you know, um, my grandfather had, what we spoke about before, had a mental health condition. That impacted on my mum and, and her grandma. Now, I didn't necessarily get impacted by her mental health. My mental health has a whole other kind of, you know, element element to it and birth story to it. But that's it was there. It was 100% there. And, um, you know... But having to sit there and watch that and support that and knowing that there was very little support. We don't have a cough button, so Barbie's got to COVID it up in the corner there. But COVID, no, it's not COVID. <laughs> but, but looking back on it now and knowing that um, there was pretty – she had some support, but it was pretty limited. And even in and – and, and we're only talking about the early 90s, you know. There wasn't the, the level of – I think she's had – I think she's been very fortunate though through the years that she's had very good relationships, very good relationships with the GPs, and that she's been supported to manage that with mm. you know with a, with the GPs and doctors and, mm. and you know medication and things like that. So I think a lot of the issue where this stems from, where we feel like we have to hide, has come a lot from the generations that we've lived in before yeah. now. So there's been a lot of years where. You know, depending on the generation you come from, will determine how open or closed you are mm. about your mental health conditions. Mm. And hopefully, now we're moving into an era where people don't have to mm. close close themselves off, and mm. they don't have to be ashamed for being different, or they don't have to be ashamed about how they want to live their life or how they need to live their life. They can be respected and understood um, and uh, and be able to work together with everybody in the community, regardless of where, what type of person you are or where, where you know, yeah. what your circumstances are. I, th- I, I, I hope for a day where somebody says I have depression in the same way that somebody says I have asthma um, or epilepsy or cancer or any other, you know, I have gout. You know, I have this thing that occasionally springs up and, and tackles me and um, puts me through the ringer for a little while and then I manage it and I recover from it and I get on with my life, you know. Um, I hope that happens. I think the way that happens is through education. Um, I think the way it happens is through discussion and talking. I think it happens by people like us having these conversations and other people having that conversation with somebody else, you know, recognising the signs of poor mental health, recognising what you're seeing in front of you, you know, changes in appetite, changes in mood, uh, you know, um, disproportionate emotional responses, changes in sleep patterns, changes in sexual behaviours, you know, um, increased alcohol consumption, tiredness, my favourite, which is still isolation, I think it's one of the biggest indicators that somebody is doing well, are doing poorly mentally, is unwell mentally. Um, Recognising that those are things and having 
having the ability and and it's Dr. Brene Brown that talks a lot about vulnerability and shame, but having that being able to take yourself into that space where you can go, right, I'm going to expose a little bit of myself. I'm going to show you who I am and hopefully help you understand who you are in the process. So saying to somebody, mate, I've managed this as well. Mm. Let's talk about this and having really open conversations. And if you lose people, you lose people. And it doesn't mean you talk to everybody. You know, we joke around about how you're going, mate, is the thing where you go, how you going, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Yourself. It's a throwaway conversation. But when we're asking it, it's how how you going, mate? And it's, but not everyone wants to hear about that. You don't have to have the conversation with everyone you talk to. You have the conversation with the people. Select oh, a group. Here they come again, the oh, mental health mob. Bloody hell. <laughs> have, a, have a conversation with the people that you know you can have the conversation with. You know, don't make it the focus of your relationship, but, you know, if, you're, if you know you've got that core group of people you can talk to. And even a, an experience we had recently where somebody was talking to about us some stuff and, I said, oh, thanks, really, thanks a lot for talking to me about this. I really appreciate it. And I made the comment where I went, that's my favourite topic. <laughs> and then they went, what? I went, I love it, man. This is my – I want to have a – I would much sooner have a conversation about mental health and managing mental health and suicide and how to avoid that and prevent that. I would much sooner have that conversation than have a conversation about how's, how's, how's work going. Mm. You know? Oh, so, um, you know – Hey, did you see that thing on the news? No. Get, piss off. I want to have a conversation about the real stuff. Excuse you. With your language? I was going to say something else then, but well, I try not to lucky. swear. <laughs> would I have been in trouble, would I? Mm. A little... Um, when I say our, our secrets are keep killing us, are killing us, the secrets we keep are killing us, here's the stat. We all know the stat that eight people a day take their lives in this country. We all know the stat. It's actually probably edging up to nine people a day now because the 2018 stats were tick under 3,400. So we're edging up to nine people a day. Close to 10 people a day now are taking their life in this country. This whole corona. Well, the estimates for corona is it could be as high as 4,500 to 5,000 people this year. We know that that's a stat, right? We know that three quarters of them are men. For whatever reason, they're men. We also know that more women attempt suicide than men, but men men will complete more than women. But here's a really scary stat. So eight people a day are, 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 are suiciding in this country. It's the number one way that men 18 to 45 die, right? It, it is the number one way. When you get past 45, it becomes number three, but only because cancer and heart disease kick in at that point, right? Mm. Here's the scariest stat. Eight people an hour attempt suicide. Mm. Eight people an hour. So about one every seven minutes, Mm. something like that. Eight people an hour. So talk to people. If we, we, one of our catch cries is start talking. We know that you're not going to go out and talk to someone if you're experiencing a mental health condition necessarily. But if you know someone, we say this all the time, if you know someone that has a mental health condition, get out there and start talking to them. And can I just say something? Oh, jeez. I was in the middle of a very dramatic delivery there. No, go on. Well, you know on Facebook... Yes. Where they send those things, they say, 
Oh, I'm doing a friend check-in. Blah, oh, blah, blah, stop blah, it. Blah, blah, Call blah, the person. Blah, blah, blah. If you feel like I do, just copy and paste and da, 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 And I know yeah. who's going to copy it. And I know. So guilt-tripping you into... I never copy them. Never, either. But, like... Because okay, I run a page There's that this does thing. That. There's this thing that I read recently where, oh, you know, and if you, I'm always here for you, blah, 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 blah. No, you're not. Because you're not picking up the phone... And calling me and saying, this, are you... Oh, I didn't. I went, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You're not picking up the phone and saying, are you okay? Uh, how are you going? Any of those things. Yep. You're just going, oh, let's... let's." And then everyone's going, oh, you're so cool. Oh, you're so great. And everyone's liking, liking, liking this thing. It's like, no, you're not. You've yeah. got to call... You've got to pick up the phone and call your people that you haven't heard from for a, for a while. I'm a bit passionate about this because it's really frustrating because the other day I was having a really tough time and then I saw a, a really good friend of mine put that on there and I was like, no, you, you need to – how about you could just call me? If it's, a, if it's a friend I'm thinking of, I think it's more about show than anything else. Mm, anyway, yes. I was very – it's frustrating because I say it often and and it's like that, that doesn't do anything. Actually, it, it would – it's equi- I said this to someone the other day. It's equivalent of thoughts and prayers. That's really nice. But go and no, you know act. what? Go and fucking act. Go and do something. Excuse me. I can say blah, it. It's blah, my blah. podcast. So I can do whatever I podcast. like. Podcast. My podcast. So I can blah, do whatever blah, blah. I like. <laughs> go and act. Go and Sorry do something. For the swearing. Pick up a phone. My very good friend Steve Wisby. Um, he was on the Today Show today. He lost his restaurant a couple of months back in a in a devastating fire. Um, I probably called him every day for, or at least every couple of days for the first week, and now I'm, I'm on a pretty much a schedule of just touching base with him every couple of days, uh, every couple of weeks, I should say, um, because I know he's going through a tough time. I know he's dealing with something really traumatic at the moment, and it would be absolute bullshit of me to go sending thoughts and prayers, or, like I'm here if you need me. Copy and paste. That's and not how he thing. talks. No, but no. Yeah, I know. You know what I'm what you're reinforcing what you're saying. Yes, it would. You know, I think it would be highly insensitive to do that. Mm. So, if you're my friend, and I'm going to say you're going to feel the same way, don't post those posts. Rather, the energy you take putting that post up, think of somebody that you know that is that you think might be struggling with their mental health or a mental health condition. Someone you haven't heard from for a while, someone that's dropped off the radar, someone that you usually contact. That you someone. haven't seen for a long time. Yeah, and message them. How you going? But it's quite likely that they're sitting, they're laying in their bed, they can't get out of bed for the whole day, they're in tears or something, and they're scrolling through their newsfeed because they've got nothing else to do in their life or that, that's how they feel in that moment. And then they're, you know, they're just, it's just, yeah. But equally... To, to finish what I was going to say before, and it relates really well to what we're talking about right now. If you are that person and they call you and they say, how you going, mate? I haven't heard from you for a while. And you're feeling that way, start talking. Mm. Tell them. Say, well, this is actually what's going on for me at the moment. Mate, life's a bit shit at the moment. I'm feeling a bit of pressure. You know, work's tough. Kids are giving me hell. You know, whatever that is, this is how it goes. Right. If that's that's start talking, it's in in a nutshell. 
right? And if you're asking the question, ask how you're going. But get ready to ask questions two or three. What's made you feel that way? How are you managing with, with it? How can I help you? How can I support you to do that? I'll be there tomorrow. Have you got some things in place to help you get through this? Is there someone supporting you, right? Yeah, I'll be there. What, do you need me to come help you? Day after Steve's place, do you need me to come, come clean up? He's like, no, it's completely destroyed. We can't even get into the place. Okay, it's a massive hazard. All right, cool. But I wanted you to know that I'm willing to do it if I need to, you know. Um, you know, act. Do something. Start talking. And if you're the person asking the question, be ready to have the conversation. And if you're the person getting asked the question... Open up. Start talking. I think that's it, Barbie. Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget, like the Facebook pages. Um, subscribe to the posts. Let us know what you're thinking. We love you hearing your feedback. If you hear something that um, really rang a bell with you or resonated, please message us. More than happy to hear those stories and have those conversations. Like I said, it's our favourite conversation topic. <laughs> we love talking about it. So, um, And did you know my imaginary friend's name was Bobby? Just just putting that in there. I think we'll leave it there. <laughs> good, good night, Bobby. Good night, Bobby's husband. <laughs> Hub husband. husband. <laughs> oh, the medication's wearing it's off. It's time to go to bed, I think. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening. Hi folks, thank you for listening to the latest episode of our podcast. Uh, before I go, could I please ask uh, just a couple of small favours. Number one, uh, we would very much, as we said at the start, love for you to review this podcast and of course please share this podcast. Um, the reviews help us to uh, help other people to see what this podcast is about and of course the sharing helps us to get our message out there. We don't have any money so we're really relying on uh, social media to be able to spread this message. Uh, equally, if you listen to this podcast, now we do a warning at the start, but if you listen to this podcast and anything uh, triggered for you or it made you think about your own mental health or well-being or someone who you love's mental health or well-being, please uh, take steps to help to either manage that yourself or to support someone to manage their mental health. Uh, if you do feel like you are need to talk to somebody, uh, and you can't talk to friends or family, please go and see your GP. Or, of course, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Men's Line Australia on 1300 789978. Lifeline on 13 11 14. Or, of course, the Kids Helpline on 1800 551800. If you or someone that you love is in immediate danger, please call triple O. Uh, but at the very least, please um, find a way to manage your mental health and your mental health conditions. And please support the people that you love to manage their mental health and mental health conditions. And again, if something you've heard today triggers for you, please go and seek um, some support uh, immediately to manage your mental health condition, whether that's one of the helplines we just mentioned or the GP. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.